Hello, everyone. Happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath. Man, all right. Sorry. All right, so, oh, man, I first got to say thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, if you don't know, I've been here for, summer, for the summer for an internship, and it's been so awesome so far. Everyone, all the church members, everyone that I've interacted with have been so nice and so great to me so far. And I've been learning so much from both Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Chris. And I'm really excited to preach my first sermon uh, for Rock Fellowship. I hope you guys are just as excited as I am. Uh, I want to first start with a story. So just to let you know a little more about myself, um, I'm a PK. And that means that I'm a pastor's kid. And growing up in the church, I always felt like I had to be the perfect kid. I was always told by my parents that I had to be the example. I had to set the example for all the other kids at church. See, that meant that I had to be the first one to go to the elders, the Changnonims and Chisanims, grab my belly, 배꼽인사, 90 degrees, all the others. So I had to do that to every single adult that I met. And the entire day, I was bowing, the entire day. 안녕하세요, 안녕하세요. Man, it's an ab workout, it gets tiring. I also had to do special music, I had to be the first one to answer all the questions in Sabbath school. And I had to be the one that was taking care of the younger kids and doing all these things. I had all these expectations on me, even though I was only 10, 11, growing up, just a young child. And even during church service, um, <laughs> not to pressure any young children, but even when I was a kid like you guys, I had to sit still, be quiet, not make any noise. All my friends are messing around, coloring and playing games on their DS or something. I had to sit still, be completely silent. Yeah, I didn't know, understand anything that's going on, but I had to pretend like I was the perfect kid. Now, I had to be honest. Just because I had these expectations, just because I grew up as a PK, does not mean that I was perfect, not by any means. I would say, honestly, I wasn't even a good kid. And some would say that I was a bad kid. So at church, you know, I put on this front, but growing up from elementary school to middle school, I got into a lot of fights. Not just verbal fights, calling each other stupid, haha, <laughs> teasing each other, but I got into a lot of physical fights, both with school friends and with, I guess it's not rightful to call them friends, I guess, if I got into fights with them all the time, but school friends and church friends, I would constantly get into fights. I don't know why. Well, actually, I do know why. It's because I feel like it looked easy to pick on me. I looked like the kind of kid, this little, always, always the smallest, one of the smallest kids in my class. I was really small, I was really skinny, short. I had these nerdy glasses. I was a small Asian kid, right? And I felt like for other people when they saw me, not that they were trying to be bullies or trying to be mean necessarily, it's just easy to pick on me, you know, it's easy to make fun of. So I was always like the butt of the joke of the group. And my glasses weren't very normal either. I didn't have just normal nerdy glasses. I had these, I don't know if you know what transition glasses are. Do you guys know what transition glasses are? Yeah, oh my goodness, those are the cringy times. So transition glasses, if you don't know what they are, they look like normal glasses. Except when you go out in the sun, when you put out the sun like this in the light, they transform. They become sunglasses. They become all dark shaded. And me with those transition glasses, 
I thought I was the coolest kid. I thought I was so cool with these tinted glasses that when I owned the sun, I turned into sunglasses. They had a green frame. Man, it's super cringy. But in reality, I looked like this. Yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> so, you know, looking at myself, I can't really blame them. If I saw my younger self, I would pick, pick on him too. He looks like a kid that you should bully. <laughs> Alright, just kidding, that's messed up. But, okay, let's get that off the screen because that's gross. Um, okay, let's move that out of the way. Alright. So, there's one specific kid um, when I was at LA Central Korean Church. So my family was new there. My dad was the pastor in the Korean side. And this is like around our first month in. And there was this one kid. He was one year older than me, but he was a lot bigger. Not bigger vertically, bigger horizontally. <laughs> but he would pick on me. He was so mean to me. And like he was like saying all these mean things. And he was calling me stupid and all this stuff. And one day, it just became too much. You know, I really tried hard. I was like, I'm going to be the good kid. I'm going to be that PK. You know, I'm at a new church. I got to get along with everyone. Even if he says mean things, I'm going to hold back. You know, I'm not going to say anything back. I'm not going to fight him. It's okay. It's okay. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. But one, one, one day, we had a gym night at church. And I just could not hold back. He said, he was saying mean things all the time to other people and to me especially. But then I saw him say something mean to my sister, my younger sister. And I snapped. I saw that. I heard it directly come out of his mouth. And I ran over to him, and basically I jumped him. <laughs> what I did, just to give you a little imagery, I grabbed him by the shoulders, and I gave him a nice knee kick to the stomach, his soft, fleshy, squishy stomach <laughs> of a 14-year-old. I was 13 back then. And, you know, he cried and immediately apologized on his knees and said he will never do it again. No, that's game. That's not what happened. <laughs> we got into a we continued fight. We were wrestling. We were grappling. And we both ended up on the floor. Thankfully, me on top. It was the other way around. It would have been, woof, it would have been really bad. But then what happened was the adults came rushing in, pulled us apart. And I was so upset. I remember crying. You know that, you know that crying you do when you're, like, really angry? It's not because you're sad and, like, you're a pain. You know, I mean, it did hurt a little bit. But I was crying because I was super angry and upset. I was so frustrated. Why can't the adults understand? He was being mean, all these things. It's not my fault. But I do remember the main emotion I was feeling back then was disappointment. I had disappointment in myself that once again, I had failed. I had failed to be that good kid. I had failed to be the example. I had failed my parents' expectations and the church's expectations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you know what this message means to me. And God, you know what this message will do to everyone that will hear it also. Please move in our hearts. Please let us open our ears and open our minds to your message and speak through me, God. I pray in your name. Amen. Man, guys, we're here. This is the final part of our series on the book of Esther. Raise your hand if you've been here for all five parts. Yeah, some of you. Give yourself a hand. Give yourself a hand. Yeah. And for those of you that are new or maybe you haven't heard all the parts, it's okay, guys. You're not missing out. You can go to Rock Fellowship <laughs> on our YouTube and watch all the parts.
And I highly encourage you to do it because it's been such an amazing journey so far, learning the book of Esther with our church. Amen? Amen. Yeah, it's been incredible. All of us have been learning so much. We feel like we should all be experts on Esther by now, right? Yeah? No? <laughs> well, let's talk about how great of a person Esther was. You know, Esther is like the kind of person that we should all strive to be. She was so perfect. She was so beautiful, you know, both on the inside and the outside. Um, she was so courageous. She put her life out for her people, to save her people. And most of all, she was so faithful. She was so faithful and never made a mistake, never failed God, and was always faithful to God. We should all really try to be like her. That's what I think um, we should learn from this series. Well, psych? Actually, no. <laughs> I actually don't believe that we should all try to be like Esther. Because when you look into the story, when you look into all the details, when you look at all the things that we often overlook as we read the story of Esther, you can actually learn that Esther was not the perfect person. She, she was not even a good person. And some could say she was a bad person. So let's break the story down. So first of all, the story of Esther is located where? In Persia. And this was during the reign of King Xerxes. Right. And what's interesting about this is that this is actually a period of time where the Israelites were called to go back to their homeland. This was a time that they were supposed to go back, rebuild their temple, and worship God. But just like most of the Israelites, as we can obviously know from the story, both Esther and Mordecai chose to stay in Persia, in a pagan land. So that's one thing. If they were faithful Israelites, they would have returned home to worship God altogether. The second point is that Let's look into the story um, of Esther um, in chapter 2 and how she really became queen. Let's think about it. Let's actually look at the uncomfortable part, right? So in, verse, uh, in chapter 2, verse 16, it says this. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month, the month of Tebeth, in the 7th year of his reign. Next verse, it says, Now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women. And actually, in some other translations, other versions. And she won his favor and approval more than any of the other versions. So, she, so he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So this is the part of the story that we really elevate, right? Like we show how, wow, God really put her in place. Even though she was just a Jewish orphan girl, he rose her so that he, she can become queen of this empire. Just like kind of similar to Joseph's story, right? When Joseph became second in command to Pharaoh. But let's actually think about it one more time. Was it really God who placed her on the throne? Or was it just the king's selfish human lust and the mistake that he had made with Queen Vashti that made him regret and look for this queen? Was it really right for Esther to enter into the king's harem? Let's look on all the different laws of God that he has shown to the Israelites thus far. He forbade marriage even with foreigners. But this is obviously what's happening here. Otherwise, she wouldn't have become a queen. 
And I'm sorry, but this was not just a normal beauty pageant. This wasn't just, oh, show off how pretty you are and how you can sing. It's not a K-pop star edition. This was something else. Something else happened that won the king's favor, that Esther won the king's favor. And the third point is, I think the worst, is in um, Esther chapter 2, verse 10. During all of this, as this whole process was going on, there was something that Mordecai told Esther to do. And this is what he said. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. So they together made this plan. You go into this queen's, you go to this harem of the king, and you win the king's favor. But the entire time, keep it a secret that you are a Jew. So that means Esther and Mordecai kept it a secret from the people around them that they were God's people. Hmm. Now you might say, hey, don't be so hard on Esther and Mordecai. You know, especially Esther. She might have not had a choice. You know, in that time, she might not have had a choice when the king's edict went out and there was a command for all the women to come into his harem and all these things. She didn't have a choice. She couldn't help it, right? She had to keep her secret identity to keep herself safe, keep Mordecai safe, and keep her family safe. But let's compare it to another very famous story of God's faithful people in a foreign land. Daniel and his friends. What did they do when they had, quote unquote, no choice? What did they do when they had to choose between obedience to God and faithfulness and obedience to their king? What did they do? They chose the fiery furnace over disobedience against God. Now we can see what kind of people Esther and Mordecai really were. You see, Esther was unfaithful. As she rose higher and higher to royalty, she fell lower and lower into lies and deception, deeper and deeper into moral confusion and compromise of her identity. Uh, so why do we spend the last five weeks talking about Esther then? What? Why? Why do we look up to Esther? Why is she regarded as one of the Bible's most courageous heroes if she was such an unfaithful person? If she was such a failure? And how about us as Christians? If even Esther was that unfaithful, who do we look up to? How can we be possibly be faithful? So after the fight, after we were pulled apart from each other, gripping onto his neck, I had, I think, some blood on my hands. As I was crying and I was, as I was thinking and disappointed in myself, I remember the church members looking down on me. It's a little kid. I remember the eyes of judgment. How could you have possibly done this? Aren't you a PK? What is wrong with you? Who do you think you are? And then I remember 
Pastor Chris, who was a pastor at LA Central at that time, he took me by the hand and he took me to a place and sat me down in a place far from everyone else. And I remember that moment very distinctly. And I remember complaining to him, telling him about my frustrations and how like, oh, they don't understand. He was being mean. I feel like I was in the right. He should have been a jerk, all these different things. I remember him just carefully listening. And I remember saying, I feel like such a bad kid. I feel like I shouldn't have punched him. I feel like I shouldn't have knee kicked him actually. I feel like a failure. And I remember these reassuring words that he said to me. And he said, I understand. I get angry sometimes too. You know, and he said, I just talked to him before the sermon. And he also said the words that, you know, when, I get, when he gets angry, he used to punch things and break things too. Right? And for me, I don't know why. Just for a little 13-year-old, those words were the most reassuring words I could hear in that moment. And I think it was an accumulation of realization that I, this whole life that I had been living up to that point as a PK, this false idea that I had to be perfect was broken in that moment. Because a full-grown pastor was admitting to me that he was also not perfect. That he also got angry. That he understood my frustrations. And I think that's why we read the story of Esther. And I think that's why the story of Esther touches me on a personal level. And that's why the story of Esther gives me so much hope. Because Esther also was not perfect. She was morally compromised. She fell at times. She didn't always make the right decisions. Her calling was to, was to be holy, an example to others. But she didn't always reach that calling. But I want to ask you guys a question. I want you to ask yourself the question. Have I been faithful to God? You see, when I look back on my own life and ask myself the question, <laughs> it's really easy for me. Answer is no. I haven't been faithful to God at all times. I have failed him. I have disappointed him and myself and my friends and my family. You know, I really want to be faithful like Daniel and his friends. Even in front of the furnace, they chose God. But I'm more like Esther. I'm more like King David, who fails at times, who disappoints sometimes. So what was it that changed Esther? What was it that gave her the transformation from being unfaithful and living a life that she wasn't supposed to live into making this decision that changed her life forever and her people's lives forever? So let's go back to the story. And we've read it so many times this past um, series. But what Mordecai said to Esther... I think that was the point, that was the moment of transformation, of realization for Esther. Let's look back. And in Esther chapter 4, verse 13 to 14, he says these words to her. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, 
relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And I think these are the words that I want to give you today. If you're like me, relate to Esther's story, put yourself in Esther's shoes. I want this message to be like Mordecai's message to Esther, his final message to her. You must realize that when you ask yourself the question, have I been faithful? That I haven't been faithful. You must realize that Oh, I have not been faithful to God. I have failed him. But it's okay. And what's important is that it's okay to admit that you have not been faithful. But what matters, what is important, is you realize and you reflect on what Mordecai said to Esther right here. For such a time as this, when you come to the realization that you're not perfect, when you come to the realization that you have been unfaithful all this time, you must realize that this is the moment. When you realize that, when it comes to the realization that you have been unfaithful, you must not stay still. You must not stay silent. See, I don't know your story. I don't know how long you've been in church. I don't know how long you've been living as a Christian, calling yourself a Christian to others. But deep in your heart, you know that you've been unfaithful. You've been trying so hard to change for the better. You've been trying so hard to hold back but you fail again and again. You're falling lower and lower. But once you realize that, this time, for such a time as this, I believe that's not just about the circumstances of Esther and Mordecai and all the Jews of the kingdom. I believe for such a time as this also indicates that this was the moment of Esther's transformation. This was a start of Esther taking steps into faithfulness. This is that time to change. For the past few weeks, um, we've been talking about Esther. And I want to apply all the things that we've been talking about into this concept. You see, the reason we want to change, the reason we want to step into faithfulness is number one, as Pastor Chris was talking about, right, God's silence does not mean God's absence. But when you change and when you take the step into faithfulness, you will see God's presence in your life. And you will see that God is not absent in your life. And from the second part of, his, um, second part of the series, we learned that God is a God of reversals. But only when you put yourself in a place to be reversed can God reverse your situation? This is what it means here. When Esther transformed, when she took that step, that's when God transformed her. This is what we need to do also. When we take that step into faithfulness, God will reverse your situation. God will reverse your life. And we talked about also in the third part that it's easy to confuse your own faithfulness with God's unfaithfulness. And the flip side of that, the promise that he gives us is that when we are faithful, God will also be faithful. And the fourth part, as Pastor Jonathan talked about, how God moves through community 
and God moves through you. When we are faithful, God will move through you and God will move through the community. But all these things cannot happen. All these things cannot come to fruition when we don't take the same step that Esther did in faithfulness. That step that you take is not because, oh, I, I am so tired of being unfaithful all this time. That step comes not because you're just sick of being unfaithful. It's because God promises us that when we are faithful, he will give all these things to us. Like he will let us see his presence and let us see him moving in our life. Let's look at Esther chapter 7, verse 3 to 4. This is after this transformation, and this is how she talks. This is what she says to the king. This is what she says to the king and Haman in front of her mortal enemy. She says, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. And in verse 4, she says, for I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. Remember what part of herself that she's been hiding all this time, all these years? She was hiding her identity as a Jew. She was hiding her identity as one of God's people. But in this moment, in this reveal of herself, when she realized she knew who she was, she realized that she was done with being unfaithful to God. She said and she tied her, her destiny, her fate to the rest of her people, saying, I and my people. And I think that's beautiful. And I think that is what gives me hope. When she finally reclaims her identity, and that same moment can happen for us as well, when we can reclaim our identity. In Romans chapter um, 8, verse 16 to 17, it says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. See, when Queen Esther gave up her, or she was willing to put up her life and her royal status here on earth, she also reclaimed the throne of heaven. She reclaimed her rightful place as an heir with Christ when she gave up her throne here in heaven, in, on earth. And I call all of us to do that today. That this moment right here for such a time as this, imagine the things that can happen in this church and in this community and us as individuals in our hearts when we take that step to change. And in conclusion, in order to change like Esther did, you must first realize that you have been unfaithful all this time. You must realize how I have compromised, how I've compromised my identity and my morals with God. And number two, you must believe that you can change, that you can be faithful from now on. I don't know how you lived before, but I know how I've lived before. And I know that I want to take that step toward God the other way in faithfulness. That's what I call for us to do today that we can take that step to change and believe not in ourselves, in our, our parents to change, but in God's power to change us. Let's pray. Dearly Father,
Oh, thank you so much for this message, God. It means so much to me. And just, it's so hard sometimes to trust that we can change when we've been trying so hard for so long. It feels like there's nothing that we can do anymore. We've been living all our lives in this comfortable world sometimes, in this palace, ignoring the things going on around us. And it feels like there's no reason to change. It feels like we're okay, we're safe. We're safe from the danger. But God, our unfaithfulness to you puts us in a dangerous place, more dangerous than any other danger. And our faithfulness to you will transform us. So help us to believe in that transformation, God, that we can be faithful from now on, that we can forget everything that we've done in the past, that we can move forward with you, God, in faithfulness, to take that step of bravery and in faith with you. I pray in your name, amen.